Joey, why don't you feel feelings? I'm an entirely conceptual human, so I don't know how to process real stimulus. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Stoltz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. So Joey, do you know why 19 is afraid of 20? Uh, no, I do not. Why is 19 afraid of 20? They got into a fight once and 21. <sighs> well, it's good to know that the... You know, the seven, eight, nine joke has uh, has aged in years, I suppose. It's grown up a little bit, but it's still, you know, it's all elementary. Just as cheesy, indeed. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach, could not be with us today because he is already in Las Vegas for the Magic Fest. In fact, at the Wah. time of recording, he is currently playing Magic in in Vegas and and he's posting about it on Twitter and posting the results of the games and who won and the fun plays and I got to I got to be honest and it's making me a little bit jealous that we're recording this show while he's off playing actual magic. I mean, I I am jealous but then he's also in Vegas and he's melting just every like drop of water out of his body. So I'm jealous but I'm not. He's also paying $8 for a tube of chap, of, of chapstick apparently. So there's Is that a thing that. in Vegas? Apparently. I, I don't know. Everybody on Twitter keeps saying that chapstick is like ten dollars. Interesting factoid about Vegas. Not Supply a thing that I knew. And demand. But a thing that I will definitely have to keep in mind for when I am actually headed to Vegas, because at the time that the show goes out, I will be in Magic Fest Vegas with Dana. So listeners, if you're there, come find us at the Commander Potty at uh, the Commander Potty. Potty. You did say Commander Potty, and I'm proud of you. The Commander Potty, hosted by the Command Zoon. Microsoft anyway, come find it. us in the EDH Rec crew. Play some games with us at the Commander Potty, apparently. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, but let me finish up the intros before I completely fumble over the rest of my words. I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All of our articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDH Rec is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from other deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. We also like to have some friends of the show on, so ladies and gents, please welcome back to the show the ultra-budget brewer, Andrew Cummings. Hello, how's it going? Welcome. It's going okay, but apparently I am all over my words today, so I might have to have you guys do the actual show. You poop on the potties. Does anybody <laughs> yeah, Andrew, remember that? Andrew's here for the potty. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a good video. Anyway, whatever. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you want us to actually talk about magic instead of reminiscing about old YouTube videos? Uh, Crazy is. talk, Andrew. Sure. How about you? How has it been... It's been a while since we had you on the show, episode 12, I believe, when you were talking about your article series, Ultra Budget Brews, where you, you know, write a bunch about how to play magic on a very, very strict budget. How have things been since then? Are you still enjoying the series? Are there any new, you know, developments in the world of ultra budget brewing? See, I'm still all over my words. Uh, just anyway, how has it been going for you is what I'm trying to say and failing to sure. say. No, it's been going good. I'm still, you know, hard at it. I haven't I haven't changed anything up in a while. I, actually, I think the last time I was on, I mean, it's been more than a year at this point, but I think actually Dana was in Vegas that time too. So I think he's avoiding me. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, it's okay. But 
Moss, it's true, though. Moss Why do you keep appearing on shows where Dana is out of town? Is this going to happen every time Dana can't make an episode? It's a conspiracy. It is. It's a conspiracy. I'm just. I'm actually Dana Roach's. I'm like. It's like the Tyler Durden thing, where I'm. You know, his alter ego. When he goes to sleep, he becomes Andrew Cummings or, or something. <laughs> If that's true, that would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, before we move on to like actual stuff within the show, I do kind of want to ask, because Commander 2019, you know, the season has been all types of crazy with people evaluating the decks, I kind of want to get a quick impression from you about what you're looking forward to from the new product. Sure. Oh, I actually, I really like the new product. Um, it's not, I'm not going to buy any of the decks. I will say that. I, I want a lot of the singles, but they're... I don't have room for another deck right now, which is something we're actually going to get into a little bit later, I think. But uh, all that to say, uh, I love some of the new cards. Dockside Extortionist needs to get in my Berea deck yesterday. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's probably my favorite card from the set. I mean, I mean, it's Goblin it's, that makes a bunch of treasures. Yes, it makes yeah, so I'm, I'm many treasures. It. It's it's incredible. Uh, there are a bunch of other good ones too. The Naya Populate deck, I really really like a lot. Uh, the Atla Polani makes me want to do oh gosh what's the guy's name from jurassic park uh john hammond hammond thank you john hammond tribal deck you know the scene where it's like (laughs) whoosh whoosh and he's watching the eggs hatch and the like little raptor come out i want to do that just every time get an altar of atla polani that's john hammond that's actually pretty funny so good it's so good i'd love that um but overall i think for as a budget um i think my favorite deck is probably the Rakdos one, which really surprised me. I was most excited about the Jeskai one going in, and uh, there's some really cool cards in it, and the Legends are decent. They're just not necessarily what I'm interested in doing personally. Uh, The Rakdos deck, though, I was really, really impressed with. I really enjoyed it a lot. Greven is is my boy. I I want to build that deck. Uh, Just active trees and tribal, like draft chaff (laughs) tribal. I'm going to steal all your cards, and it's, yes, I, I want that back in my life. Well, it's so cool to hear that you're really excited about this because, you know, again, you write a series that's devoted to making extremely tight budget decks. And I, we played with you when we were in Kansas City, and you have a bunch of budget decks on you, and that did not prevent you from winning a lot. Like, you, you were still a... Com- very compelling dominant force on the board all of the time. So it's really cool to hear that the guy who, you know, actually practices the ultra budget living, I suppose, um, (laughs) is excited about these commanders because it means that that's also really good for folks who are also building decks on a budget too. I think that that's like really exciting to hear. Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the decks are, I think they'll be good. And I think there is something that we can do. I mean, I think all of the decks have something that you could build on a budget. Um, Some more than others, obviously, but yeah, it was really good. Yeah, that is pretty fun. And maybe we'll talk about that on a future show. We actually have a different topic up today. But before we can even get to that, we have a giveaway to announce. Yes, we have we have so many housekeeping today. So many announcements, so much good stuff. But we did... So excited. We did do our Twitter giveaway. We did hit 2,000 followers on Twitter. Thank you to all of our followers for being neat and great and... Only type. You guys are awesome. Oh yeah, only tweeting us really random stuff every now and then instead of all the time. So we do appreciate that. Wow. Um, and I mean, it, it is nice that people know to play their graveyard hate now because they are fans of Joey. Hey. So no. Nope. Yes. Um, anyway, Stop. so we do have four four winners. Each one gets one. That is one. The number before two, as we learned. 
of the precon decks from Commander 2019. So what we're going to do, we're going to tweet there. We're going to do this in order. So the person that gets the first pick is the Acer at Nerdy Drummer. You have won your grand prize winner. You get your pick. Then second up will be Blue Blazer. That is at the Chip the Chip Carry. Not Jim Carry or Drew Carry, but Chip Carry. Uh, wow. You get second pick. Uh, David Schreiner at M Dave C's. You are number three, and then August Blue Red Mom, your mom. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with Blue Red Mom. Uh, but at Softest Weapon, you get whatever the other three don't want, basically. But you still get something. You still get one of the one of the Commander Precon decks. So congrats to all four of our winners. Um, we are very excited. Um, we'll be reaching out to you guys on Twitter, but if you tweet at us before we reach out to you, then that's great too, because we appreciate yeah. enthusiasm. Appreciate enthusiasm. It also makes our lives a little bit easier, but that's right. We are going to be giving away one of each of those decks. These are the four winners. Again, that is at nerdy drummer at the chip carry at M Dave C's and at softest weapon. Congratulations guys. And thanks for us. Uh, for helping us hit this milestone of 2,000 followers on Twitter. It really means a lot to see all the support that we've gotten for the show, and this is just one of the ways that we want to say thank you for it. It's been really, really exciting. Okay, with that, we will now move on to our main topic. What is our main topic this week, fellas? Making switches, changing decks around. Yeah, it is a difficult thing to to deal with sometimes. Usually, I feel, when I build a commander deck, I, this, I see this as well with other folks, when they build a commander deck, there's like a, a sense of attachment to the commander, to the entire 99. Like it's, it becomes sort of your baby or something. But sometimes you do actually have to shift a commander. You have to make the change, make the switch, and you go from having one deck to a completely different deck. And that is the subject that we wanted to tackle today. And I guess we should start with sort of why you'd make the switch to a new commander. And Andrew, we're really glad to have you on the show to help us tackle this topic, because as I understand it, something that you have a bit more experience uh, with than maybe we do. As you know, Matt doesn't update his decks basically ever. He can hey go now. a year and a half hey before now. he updates his decks. And then I also feel a very precious attachment to mine, but you make a lot more transitions uh, than I think we do. So we hope that you'll be able to help us out giving some advice about how and why to make uh, deck switches, as it were. Yeah, sure. I think it'll be an interesting topic. I think it's something that, I mean, everybody does to some degree. It's in the life cycle of... Decks have a life cycle, you know? That's what it is. Yeah. So let's start with why you would make the switch to a new commander. What is something that would compel you to change from one commander to another? Sure. I think that the most obvious reason is that your commander has received an obvious upgrade uh you have one commander something gets spoiled like you know the new new commander set and something is just more powerful or does what you want your deck current deck to do it just does it a little bit better so for example the actually the deck that i very first got into commander with was melic is it paragon and it's your average. Is it spell slinging deck? You look at the, you can look at the top card of your deck, and if it's uh, an instant or sorcery, you can cast it and it doubles it. It's incredible. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. And that was my first one, and I filled it with a bunch of garbage rares, cerebral eruption, and you know stuff like that. Um, and then shortly after that, once I had finally gotten the rest of my playgroup in involved in Commander, uh, Mizix was released, and immediately i was like this this card is is just me just like incarnate i love this card so so very much and so i knew immediately i needed to 
switch my Melek deck to Mizzix. I just had to. And it took me a little bit to actually acquire it because I didn't want to actually buy the entire deck because, you know, budget guy. And I didn't want to spend $35 for essentially just a Mizzix. Uh, and so eventually I was able to acquire it and made that switch. And it, have it, haven't looked back. It's it stayed. That's that. That is probably the one deck that I have that I can't see changing. And you know, maybe they'll I'll physics or even upgrade. I can't imagine because physics is insane. But uh, who knows? You never know. Yeah, and I know a lot of folks myself actually who also went through basically the exactly the same experience. They had Melek, but Melek was six mana and had sort of a weird restriction about manipulating the top of your deck, and it also sometimes struggled to close out the game. Mizzix comes along and it's cheaper, also cares about spells and makes them all a bit more palatable. There is like I, I hesitate to ever use the phrase that one commander is strictly better sure. than another because there are always small things that you can adjust here and there to take advantage of the different unique pieces to each of those commanders. Mm. But at the same time like one of them definitely does feel like a bit of an upgrade it seems to you know facilitate the strategy that you were after in Melek. Mizzix seems to do it just a bit spicier sure. so yeah if you get an upgrade it's sort of you know very compelling to want to switch things over especially because so many of the cards within the deck are going to basically remain the same right. that strategy is just going to so easily smoothly move to the new commander yeah i'd say like and just an estimate prob- probably 80 of the 100 cards stayed the same. I right. probably up 20 of them that that changed around that they're just significantly better in Mizzix or they were significantly better in Melek and so no longer were as necessary. So like a lot of the top deck manipulation, you know, I took a lot of that stuff out and added in some really big X spells and that kind of thing. And so just it was so yeah, a lot of the core stayed the same which made it pretty cheap to upgrade honestly, which which was nice. Yeah, and that that really makes it easier to make that transition as well. Uh, And Matt, I think you also had a bit of a Jeskai escapade with Core 2020 as well. A Jeskapade, if you will? Please stop. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, no, I I had that exact same moment that Andrew did with with Melek and Mizzix. So as as I've not been shy about, I had a Shuyun Tokens deck, uh, which I I liked. I never played it a whole lot because Shuyun just didn't really help that token theme at all and so i i yeah admittedly i played it sometimes very little but then when i saw kaikar previewed i instantly knew like oh my gosh this is a commander that does everything i want to be doing it is obviously it's on theme i'm still playing i think since i've gotten kaikar for the deck and andrew actually he came out to colorado and we played a couple games with it i think i changed maybe five other cards so it is probably 90 plus of the same cards since Kai or since Shu Yun was at the helm. Cause yeah, the, the Kai card blends in perfectly with what just guy spell slinging token makers want to do. I'm, you know, monastery mentor and perforos. What else would you want? Yeah. And that's one of the compelling reasons to make the switch as well. When another commander comes out and opens up a new strategy for you, that you didn't previously have, or it makes you know things maybe a little bit smoother for the style that you were already seeking. That also kind of goes into a, another direction too with it, though. For example, I myself went from Titania, Protector of Argoth, the mono green makes elementals when your lands die, and then Omnath, Locus of Rage came out. You know, you landfall, make a bunch of five-five elementals, and I was like, oh, I, I think I'm going to try that. It seems like I'll be able to do more with the landfall stuff I'm after. And then after that, the Gitrog Monster came out, and I was just like, oh, well, lands and graveyards—that's fascinating. And then. 
after that, Lord Windgrace came out. I made the transition on each one of those because each of those commanders opened up a brand new door. And not all of those are direct upgrades necessarily, like, you know, Melek and Mizzix is a pretty clean example uh, if you're looking for pretty straightforward is it spell slinging stuff. But, you know, Titania and Omnath and Get Rid of Monster and Lord Windgrace, they're all doing some fairly dissimilar stuff. They don't have direct overlaps. It's more of a, a lateral move than it is a strict upgrade in each of those. But they also expanded upon a unique aspect of the others that came before it. And that's what made me want to, you know, continue switching those up and seeing out, seeking out those new strategies. Uh, because suddenly I had something new that I was able to do with a strategy that I was interested in. For sure. Lord Woodgrace feels kind of like the Captain Planet of Lands Matters, like, commanders. <laughs> you know, Titanium Math and Getrog Monster, our powers combined, we form... Lord Windgrace, and it's it's that deck is nutter butters. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty fun. But since we're also you know in precon season right now, I mean precon season invites a lot of people to look over their decks and evaluate whether they want to do that whole something new because we've got a bunch of new commanders that are opening up new strategies. You know, for example, is the new Marisi Breaker of the Coil better at forcing combat than Thantis the Warweaver, the spider that we got last year that also says everyone has to attack? Like that could be a movement that people are making. Or does uh, Gired, who has access to red now, uh, does his whole population shtick, you know, jive a little bit better? Is, it, is he more potent when compared to Trostani? That kind of thing. Like, they both do things with tokens and populate, but now you've got a slightly, you know, the door has opened a little bit wider in this one regard, and that's something to evaluate, you know, what it is that you're after there, and has this new commander, you know, opened up something new that you'd like to try out? And that could definitely, you know, uh, make you want to switch those commanders out to try that something new, to open up the strategy just a little bit more. I can totally see that. It makes it makes total sense for sure. So, you know, what are some other reasons that might prompt you to make the switch to a new commander? I think one of the big reasons is that you're just tired of the deck. I mean, every deck, like I said, I think it has a lifespan, and sometimes you just get tired of the deck that you have and you want to change something different. So, for example, uh, one of my very first decks was a Borberigmos and Rage deck. It's the first deck I ever actually wrote about uh, way back ah, two and a half years ago, something like that. It's been, been a long time. But it basically, it was kind of a convoluted combo deck, and I killed people by you know, tossing an entire grip of lands at their face. And it was, it was wonderful. You used Barrel Down, Sekenzin, and a bunch of cards that, you know, spl not Splendid Reclamation, what's the one that's Creeping Renaissance? And after you got done throwing all your lands at somebody, you'd pick them back up and do it again. It was it was great, and it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It actually won fairly often. It wasn't like it was a bad deck, but it won in a really repetitive way. It just I won by throwing lands. There there was not another way of winning, and so eventually I got to a point where I had done pretty much everything I had wanted to with the deck. I'd accomplished quote-unquote, everything I'd wanted to. And so it was it was time to, you know, just let it ride off into the sunset. I didn't want to, you know, beat a dead horse. I didn't want to play it until I stopped enjoying it. I wanted to, like, okay, this was fun, and that's okay, and this is done, and that's good. And so I just retired it and took out the pieces and built other decks. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like that, that's one of the things that draws us to Commander in the first place, is that it's a pretty high variance format. 
So to have a deck that suddenly becomes decently repetitive, that can kind of grit on you a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a good point to, to make sure you're still, you're retiring out, I guess, before it becomes an unfun thing to do. You don't want your decks to ever become a chore. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons that I changed up my Moldrotha deck was uh, it, it won with uh, any variety of two-card combos that I could tutor up at almost any given time because Moldrotha was so good at playing things from the graveyard. And yeah, I, I had the same experience. It was, well, I, I've done this a few times. Is there something more that I can be doing with the deck? And so I I got away from the combo-centric you know, build that I had, and I, I switched over to a kind of a, a plus-one, plus-one counters theme, which so far has been a very nice breath of fresh air to what the deck has been doing. That's nice. I mean, and it's one of those things I think that sort of depending on on what the actual win condition is, it can have a little bit more of a lifespan. If it's something that yeah. everybody else does or you see super often, like Moldrotha, like you're saying, for example, like that that's a card that is popular and people typically win a lot of the same ways with it. And so that just seems like it would have a lot shorter of a lifespan. So I totally get why you'd want to want to switch that up to something more unique. Yeah, I think the the deck that I would, was probably the most repetitive with was Edgar Markov. And I mean, granted, Moldrotha, Edgar Markov, those are two of the most popular commanders of all time. So you are going to see quite a few of them around, running around as well. So there was definitely, as Dana or or Don Miner, Mr. EDH Rec would put it, there is a little bit of a hipster factor that was going on there. So... <laughs> I picked one and, and ran with it, but yeah, Edgar Markov was definitely very repeatable. So when Tasa Karloff came out, it was a chance to do a little bit of the same thing, kind of do some sacrifice shenanigans, but um, keep it in black-white. I did lose red, which kind of stunk, but there was so much more that I could be doing with the same low-to-the-ground, kind of get-stuff-on-the-board-quick play style that I really enjoyed compared to Edgar Markov, where it was just vampire aggro, one-drop, two-drop, Phyrexian Arena, multiple two drops, whatever whatever it was. Um, it's It's been a lot more fun just to have something that isn't the exact same win conditions. I think that's a really good point, actually, you know, that now that we're talking about it is maybe not the, how the deck plays so much, but how the deck wins might be the part that I get the most bored with. Right. There are plenty of deck styles that really lend themselves to a deck that sort of plays you rather than a deck that you play. A tribal deck, I think, is a really big place for that to be a significant trap because the tribe is going to do the one thing that they do pretty normally. <coughs> and there is some variance with, you know, getting those different creatures within your deck. But largely, you know, elves is going to swarm the field and then make a bunch of mana. Goblins is going to swarm the field and then hurt your opponents in the face a whole lot and maybe be assisted by Perforos and stuff like that. <laughs> there is a bit of a, you know, this deck is feeling maybe a little bit on rails and that doesn't make it a bad deck or a bad strategy at all but there are certain you know folks among us who might get a little bit tired of those play styles if we were to play those decks over and over and over again um so you know that might be one of the reasons why we might try and make the shift the way that you guys described another thing that i think is important to note about reasons to make the switch is if your deck does something similar to another deck you already have I am Mr. Graveyard. I can turn any deck into a deck that uses the graveyard. And you'd think that I'd get tired of it, but I don't because there are very small <laughs> ways that I've sort of differentiated those different things. I have a Mimeoplasm deck that can mess with everyone's graveyard, but then I have a Marin deck that only messes with mine, that kind of thing. But if I have two decks that are just about my graveyard, well, it kind of gets a little bit repetitive. That's not something that I would maybe enjoy as much. There would be 
little use for me to go to my shelf and say, hmm, which one of these do I want to play? Well, they both kind of do the same thing. That can be something that also occasionally prompts people to want to make the switch and move one of those commanders away from the commander to stop having as much redundancy within their, you know, the, the decks on their shelf. I totally agree. I had once I had a uh, thing that that makes me think of is I had a uh, Sasia Orachi Ascendant. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, Krufix got a Horizons deck at the same time. And they're completely, they're different colors. You know, Krufix is Simic and Sasia is just mono green. But they both essentially did the same thing. The whole Their whole gig was just making gigantic amounts of mana. Krufix, you did it by, you know, saving up over time, like a bank or something, something or Sasia, you just, you know, would wait till you had seven lands in your hand and all of a sudden your lands were tapping for 10 apiece. Yeah. And, and so it was one of those things like I found that I, that they kind of just, they did the exact same team thing. They just made a bajillion mana and they won with some giant X spell or whether it was, you know, whether it was, I was, oh, what's the, what's the card that you pump into at a hundred counters? Helix Pinnacle. That's it. Sorry. And they would win using that or they would win, you know, with some other gigantic green spell. And I looked at it and Saucy was just a lot more unique and interesting. So what ended up happening is I ended up cannibalizing some of the pieces from Krufix that I didn't have in Saucia that Saucia really, really wanted. And so I was like, well, uh, this is this basically the same deck, just a little different colors. And Krufix is more expensive because it's two colors instead of one color. So I'm just going to take some of the expensive pieces and throw it in Sasia. And really ended up enjoying it a lot. This is sometimes difficult to identify, too. I also have a Krufix control type of deck, and I also have a Kaneos and Tiro group hug deck. But guess what? They're both actually control decks. They accumulate a bunch of resources, they fiercely defend themselves with a lot of interactive spells, and they win the game in pretty unconventional ways. But I don't play Krufix much anymore precisely because I have a Kaneos and Tiro deck. And actually probably even because I have a Big Manadrana type of deck too, because Big Manadrana is a Cabal Coffers mono black deck where you get a bunch of mana. And Krufix was also obsessed with getting a bunch of mana. So I had like sort of this weird Venn diagram where this deck was occupying space that two of my other decks were already occupying. And it eventually became a lot less compelling to play. And I mean, that's a really big sign to make the switch if you're not playing the deck as much anymore. But the reason why you might not be as drawn to play that deck anymore is because you have other decks that are doing something similar and that's hard to point at like it, it was difficult for me to figure that out because i didn't realize that crufix my two color deck was going to be anything similar to kaneos and tiro but they both do control even though one of them is twice as many colors i didn't realize that crufix was going to be similar to drana i mean yeah they both make a bunch of mana but they're completely different colors i wouldn't have expected them to be similar but they occupy a similar strategic element and that's why one of them eventually started to fall off for me yeah, I think it does. It does take a certain level of, of of self awareness, I guess, to kind of figure out what you want from a deck. How are you executing that in the deck, and then is that really what you ended up wanting to do? Because I I, I don't think I've ever set out to build a deck and then built it exactly that way that I that I originally planned. I think along the way, there's always been a few cards that change here and there. Maybe I you know in the process, I think, well, I have too many of these effects, so. It morphs a little bit along, not soul time morphs, but it, it changes itself a little <laughs> bit. But yeah, so I, I, I think it. how intentional are you being when you're building the deck and are you sticking to that original goal? Because I think sometimes people set out with, I, I'm sure you didn't originally set out, Joey, for your, your Drana deck and your Krufix deck to be the same, but then just 
over time, it, it got that way. It, it developed eventually to be the similar type of play styles. I don't think you did that intentionally. I, I'm, I'm sure you'd say, in fact, you, you built them because, well, I don't have a deck doing this, so I'm going to build that deck. So it's right. having some level of self-awareness, I think, of am I still doing what I wanted to do originally, and do I need to change anything to get back on track? Yeah, yeah, exactly. These I, When I first built them, I had no idea that there would be an overlap there. And maybe in retrospect, it seems obvious, but it's hard to do when you're sort of enamored with a new commander. You're just like, oh, I just want to build this. This looks fun. And it looks like something that the rest of my decks aren't doing. But the spirit of the deck can sometimes be a little bit similar. And that eventually started to eke out over the others. When I was in the mood to play big mana, I found myself drawn towards one and just not towards the other. When I found myself in the mood to play control, I was like, yeah, group hug is what I'm going to do today. But then Crufix was like, oh, maybe not as much there. So I realized, oh, I'm not playing this deck as much anymore. And these are the causes because there is a little bit of overlap here. So that might prompt me then to take that deck and move it into something new to sort of discontinue that commander because it's doing something that I'm already doing with other decks. And that, that yeah, the self-awareness of that... It is definitely, it can be difficult to find out, but the goal of your deck definitely matters. And having that overlap can sometimes make it a little bit too redundant for people. Yeah, well, and I think, Joey, you and I had a really good conversation the other day, even. You, you were talking about different decks. You are talking about Mazarek was too close to Rayon and Ishai, and I right. said, hear me out, don't play a graveyard deck, and you got really confused, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were like, hear me out, red is a color, Try playing a deck without a graveyard, and I was just like, I don't understand. This, you, doesn't, it, this doesn't make does sense. Not, does not compute. Yeah, genuinely doesn't compute. But yeah, no, the Mazarek is a really interesting example. Mazarek is a pet card of mine. I keep on coming back to it, but I have a Rehan and Ishai deck now, which basically occupies the same space as Mazarek. They both would sacrifice things and then put counters on things. I've kind of already got that strategic thing. So even though I love Mazarek as a card and I keep on wanting to build that deck, I'm always drawn to it, I sort of already have a deck that's doing that same thing. So that makes me not want to make that switch, as it were. Uh, are there any other examples that you've got about this particular type of thing, uh, Andrew? I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, I have a a Kirkesh charge counters deck, and I have Oof. a Brea. It's it's great. It's wonderful. That and a, deck uh, pisses me off more than any <laughs> deck that you have. It's so uh. fiddly. I love it. Just like taps and untaps. Ta- oh my god, it's great. Anyways, and um, and then I have a Brea treasures deck, and like they don't sound like they'd have much overlap, but they are both artifact decks, and so they are. Some of those cards, like, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I think that decks sometimes, it's like they take on a life of their own. You have, like, a goal in mind. It's like when I sit down and I build a deck, I have usually have a theme. I have something that I'm wanting to specifically do with that deck. And it's often, it's almost never good stuff, quote-unquote. It's never, this is just, you know, the best thing to be doing in this deck. It's, I want to do something silly. There's a really cool card I like that just got released. I want to be able to play around with that and do cool things with it. And, but decks kind of take on a life of their own. Sometimes they just end up, it's like, I have a Brea deck and I can't help but putting, I don't know, Time Sieve or, or something else ridiculous like that because it's just so good in the deck. You're like, I mean, that doesn't really fit what I'm trying to do, but it's incredible. So I just, I'm going to add it in. And so that same sort of thing can happen, you know, where you end up sharing cards, you know, between decks. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, the the more tuned that your decks become, I think the easier the strategic overlaps, the the more apparent Mm -hmm. they become. I think that's definitely a good observation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it 
it probably takes more discipline to not put a new card into your deck than it does to just put the new great card into a deck. Don't try and make your lack of updating your decks sound like it's <laughs> philosophically important. Like that, it's not like you're being the the next level galaxy brain there. You're no. just forgetting to update your decks. Don't do that. Matt. I, on. No, hold on. My 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 brain is so galaxized. It is spinning. Like I, I have the best deck ideas. You you won't believe all the deck ideas I have. They're the best deck ideas. Oh Lord of mercy. Okay. One thing I, w- I would be <laughs> so, I would be remiss not to mention. Like for example. Uh, when I have decks that share cards, that's totally okay. I've, I don't have like a hard and fast rule about decks not sharing cards. Uh, but there are sometimes, especially if a deck, I mean, a, a specific card is kind of expensive. I am personally not somebody who is uh, will, is like willing to proxy cards. It's not necessarily because I have anything against proxying cards or anything like that. It's simply I, I don't have a printer and it would bother me. I would just be me riding on a basic mountain with a Sharpie and that just like kind of rubs me wrong. It just feels weird. And so I, unless I'm like trying out a card or something and seeing if I actually want in the deck, I almost never proxy. And so if I'm playing on a budget, sometimes that means I got one copy of a card. And, and so I got to really decide which deck I wanted in. And so if I have a two decks that really desperately want that card, you know, that might be a sign to me that, you know, maybe, maybe these decks are doing really similar things. And I don't need to necessarily have two decks that do this similar of a thing. Or maybe yeah. it leads us into our next point. Maybe you just have too many decks. Huh? <laughs> huh? I mean, that's entirely possible. Yes, that is. I mean, gosh, like some people, some people have like, I know, I know that some people have like, what is the goal to do like what is it, a rainbow challenge or something where you have oh, the full 32. full 32 cards or 32 cards, one of every color, every possible color combination. That's really cool. I think that's fun. Uh, I could never do that. Um, first off, because it's expensive. Um, secondly, because, I mean, I mean, most people have a really limited amount of time to play EDH uh, or magic in general. Just time for your hobbies. Like as you get you know, older, like you just have less time a lot of the times. And that's totally okay. That's natural. That's fine. For example, I get to play probably uh, once a week, maybe, for a couple hours, sometimes twice a week. So does it make any sense for me to have 20 decks? You know, it, so if I play for a couple hours once a week, I may be getting, you know, three games in a night. So if I were to, you know, multiply that out, I'm getting 12 games in a month. And a lot of the times when I build a new deck, that's the only one I'll play for, you know, that entire night. And I'm not even thinking about doing my other decks because I'm wanting to test it out. I want to. I just built this shiny new cool thing, and I, I'm going to be pretty enamored with it for a minute. And so I'm going to play that a lot, and the other decks are going to get completely ignored. And so if I have 20 decks, you know, that one that's at the very bottom <clears> of my bag, you know, how long is it going to take me to get to that deck? That's and, and you know that's just cards sitting there collecting dust, and that kind of stinks. Right. And so making the switch in this case isn't necessarily that you're, you know, shifting that commander deck to another, but maybe you're disseminating the pieces from that deck into the other decks that you already have. You're sort of making room for the decks that you're excited to play. Yeah, exactly. No, definitely. I mean, that's that's how my Tasa Karlov deck had um, the core of the deck transferred over from Edgar Markov. I had my mana base already. I had all of my draw spells. I had a lot of my removal. So I had a, a decent chunk. I, I think you know, once I took out the, you know, 35-ish creatures, I mean, that was where I got to put all the flavor into the deck and that, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and I think this takes a, 
I mean, I think looking at being able to really evaluate, like, how much time do I actually get to play? And and how often have I played X's deck? For example, I had an Annex and Siamid deck. It was really fun. It's a deck I wrote an article about, and so I built something pretty similar to it. And it was really, really fun. I enjoyed it, but, you know, I didn't play it super often. It's Boros. It was pretty low power. And so... I eventually I looked and I had I only have X amount of room in my bag. I can usually carry about eight decks in my bag at a time. That's it. And so I was going through my closet and I was just looking for some other cards because getting ready to build a new deck. And so looking for some new cards and I found a deck box, like just kind of way back in the back of my closet. And it was my Annex and Siamy deck. And I was like, I haven't played this thing in a year at least. Like there is absolutely no reason for me to have Reforge the Souls in here or fire diamonds, or any of these cards, like, I could put those in in my Mizzix deck that really needs that ramp and that card draw, or I could put it in, you know, literally any other deck where it would do something, <laughs> because I, I haven't, clearly this deck is not that important to me, because it's just been, you know, protecting my closet, it's holding down dust, I don't know what it's doing in there, it's just, <laughs> just hanging out. Right. Uh, so moving on to another point, another compelling reason that might prompt you to make a switch from one deck to another is if the deck is not that much fun for the rest of your playgroup, that they don't necessarily enjoy it as much. There's something about the deck that kind of causes maybe a standstill or just it's not as interactive as you're usually looking for. Maybe this is because it plays out the same way, sort of like we mentioned earlier, but maybe it's also just a bit frustrating for other folks to play against too. And it's not even necessarily the value of your own time there, but the value of your friend's time that you want to make sure that you're, you know, paying attention to the decks that they're also able to enjoy. No, sure. I mean, because ADH is, it's a format that it's unlike other formats where are just competitive that the, the, it's your goal is to win, you know, um, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, obviously I like winning. I enjoy winning. Um, and I want to win when I play an EDH, but it's not a zero sum game. It's, I want the other people I'm playing with to have fun. And so do hopefully so they, they want the same thing. So for example, my brother had a get rock monster deck, Like that deck is nuts. It's so powerful. And I despise playing against that deck. And we, he is like one of the main people I play with. And he loved that. He he really enjoyed that deck a lot. He would get to strip mine people, lock people out of the game with like Crucible of Worlds. And he would, he had like some really convoluted combos. I don't even remember what they were. Problem was he barely knew what they were in there either. Like he, <laughs> he, he knew. Like that does he knew, sound familiar. Right. He had a very, like, this, he had a pretty good idea of how to do it, but it would just take him a really long time because it's just a fiddly deck. You know, you have to draw through your entire deck and you're discarding all your cards and you're drawing more cards. It's just a very hands-on deck. And it would take so long and I'd, I'd have no lands. And so eventually it was just like, dude, I, I, I just do not enjoy playing against this deck. You take 20-minute turns. I don't have lands. You know, I either, you know, win an incredibly long, grindy game against it or I just get, like, mud-stomped, like, curb-stomped Edward. Ed, Edward Norton style and, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh, American History X. You know, that kind of nonsense. It's like, neither of these things are, like, necessarily what I want to do when I'm playing EDH. And so I kind of talked to him about it. Like, I brought it up a couple times. He eventually was like, you know what? Actually, it was one of your guys' episodes. It was the one with um, Henry Stukenborg. Henry. Yeah, that was the one yep. he said. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, actually, he's like, I listened to this podcast. I don't even remember exactly what you guys talked about. He's like, 
I just like, yeah. I think it was EDH etiquette. Maybe that's I what it was. was the idea. Maybe that's what yes. it was. And so I think that was the topic. Yeah, he idea. was, he talked and he like texted us in our little group thing. He's like, you know what? This isn't fun for anybody else, you know, and I want to be able to have fun with it. So I'm taking apart this deck because everybody else hates it. And I want you guys to be able to have fun too, which was like a really cool thing for him to be able to, he took a thing he enjoyed, you know, he enjoyed it less because we enjoyed it less and we asked him not to play it. But at the same time, that like was a certain level of like self-evaluation and being able to sacrifice some of his own fun so that we could have fun, but then he could also have room to build another deck, which was fun. Well, I think there's also like, yes, there's sort of a social contract element going there, but I think it's also important for folks who are maybe less compelled by the social contract argument uh, to to think also about the way that that deck functions. Um, if other people aren't enjoying it, that could cause them to then sort of treat you like an arch enemy within the game, oh, totally. for example. And that is a strategic reason to maybe make a switch, to maybe change the style up a little bit, because that does affect your win rate. If you, the deck is really strong, then yeah, that's really, really great. But it also means that maybe you've got a target on your head as soon as you sit down at the table. <laughs> so if the social contract isn't necessarily the thing that's you know compelling to you, maybe that might be. Or here's one just from my personal example. I had a Yidris Maelstrom Wielder deck, and I really, really enjoyed it. But I also realized that it was a deck that either functioned at zero miles per hour or 100 miles per hour. And when it went off, I was just playing solitaire, which wasn't fun for everyone else. But even if that wasn't the thing that compelled me to take that deck apart, that it was just me playing solitaire and everyone else was just twiddling their thumbs at the rest of the table, something that was important was that even though my deck was very tuned and it was really, really good at making sure that I could do the Yidris awesome cascady things, if that deck was disturbed, it was at zero miles per hour. And people knew how to disrupt it very easily. And they would make a point to do so. So it wasn't even necessarily just the idea that it's not as much fun for everyone else, but it's also that there's a strategical element to it that became very, very stressful for me playing it too. And that can also be a compelling reason, not just the social contract, but the impact that a unfun deck can have on the gameplay and on you as a player too. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned several times on the podcast too how Andrew, you and I and our play group with uh, you know your your brother and a couple of our other friends, we would have these decks, we kind of labeled them our slump busters, where they were just crazy high power decks that if we were playing in a like play group, they were great because everybody just kind of go back and forth and have these huge swingy plays. But then if we played it, if one person wasn't playing on that level, they definitely did not have any fun. My Narset deck was that deck for a while. So yeah, there are definitely groups that, and this might come down to you know power level and expectations too, but if you're playing a deck that maybe somebody isn't expecting to play against, it can definitely be one of the least fun experiences you have playing Magic. And I've gone 0-5 at PPTQs before, and that's not near as fun as watching somebody try to make, you know, the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, Protean Hulk combo go, which was another thing that I, I had zero patience for. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's actually kind of interesting. I, I actually just did this. Because I, so I, I've mentioned Mizzix earlier in this episode, not to harp on it too much, but that deck is my baby. I love that deck. And that was my slum buster, um, I guess, mm-hmm. as, you, as you would refer to it. And I looked at it and I realized I had played it once in the last six months. Um, and that was actually at GPKC. Uh, and I immediately got mana screwed and didn't do anything. Um, but I looked at it and I'm like, this is a deck I really, really love, but I never get to play it because it's never at the right power level. I'm either playing with students at the, you know, the club that I, that I run at the high school I work at, 
and it's certainly not certainly not okay to play there. Or I'm playing with my buddies, and you know we've all kind of depowered our stuff. Or I'm playing at the shop, and it's a it's a pretty casual shop. So it's like there's not a place for me to play this. So it's like I'm gonna take out all of these cards that make it super powerful and power it down. And it has been so much fun. I've I've enjoyed getting to play. It's like I have a new deck again. It's it's been wonderful. I love it. Something that I also want to point out before we move on to our last point, um, th- this was kind of a, a fun thing for me, and I don't know that I've even necessarily voiced this to my, my friend groups, but I was under the impression for a long while that my Mimeoplasm deck was not fun for everyone else. I would usually be able to cheat out Jingataxius or Vornklex-style cards very, very early in the game and just strip everyone else of their resources and make it very difficult for them to play, and I was under the impression that you know this wasn't very much fun. I didn't take the deck apart, but I didn't play it as often as I wanted to, and I was sort of I don't know, I had this uh, self-aggrandizing sense of nobility. It was just like, oh, I'm not going to play that deck for their (laughs) sake, which was just not a healthy brain space to be in, by the way. Um, Because then when I pulled it out many months later, maybe even a year later or something, people were so much more able to deal with it than I was used to from ages and ages ago. And it was just like, oh, this deck is actually perfectly fine now. It's almost as though the people that I'm playing with are actually pretty damn good at this game. And... (laughs) And, and like that's something that you know. Also, make sure that you're holding yourself to account. The way that you evaluate your decks um, is is important, but it also needs to be realized within the greater t- context of what other people are doing too. Um, so, I, I guess I'm also just trying to say that like maybe a deck might not be fun for uh, you know the rest of the table at one point, but that doesn't mean that they that you have to immediately take it apart. Uh, that well, is something that can potentially be grown around as well. That's sort of totally. what I'm trying to get at here. I, and make sure that you don't have an inflated sense of ego like I had. <laughs> I do love how Joey. That was probably the nerdiest way to to essentially say let them eat cake. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, that was. <laughs> You want your friends to eat cake, and cake is delicious. So really, you're looking out for your friends. So pat yourself on the back. We're going to stop, and we're going to move on to our final point. What is our final point about why someone might make the switch from one commander to another? So I think one of the biggest things, and we kind of alluded to it a couple times, is just sometimes you build a deck, and it just doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Uh, You know, deck building... Like you said, sometimes you have a goal that you set out to do and you you start to get there and you stray a little bit and just a, sometimes you, the, the deck just, it falls on its face. Uh, my Glissa the Trader deck was that deck. I, it just was not good. It didn't do what I was hoping it was trying to do. I wanted it to kind of be like a sacrifice a bunch of artifacts to make a bunch of mana to power out Eldrazi and it wasn't doing anything well or good or acceptable even because it was... Like, I occasionally would Mindslaver lock somebody, and that's about it. <laughs> See, it's Deck building is this, is this really strange mix of, a, of science and art. You need both. Like you, have, you have the science part where you're really, you can really look at the numbers and be very analytical and all those things. But there's some of it is just feel. You, you just, it's just how, how does this feel? How does... Is this feel right? Does it feel like it's running well? And so you have to like kind of marry those two concepts, which which seems strange. And uh, everyone, if you like everyone listening to this podcast, if you have not done it yet, this this will happen to you. You will experience building a deck that just did not work like you thought it would. It it just it just it will happen. It's just part of the that's part of the process of becoming a better deck builder. That's just what it is. Like any any artist or any scientist or any 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 kind of uh, you know job, anything like that, career, 
they, they'll tell you that the the when you fail, those are the, that's, that's how you learn, and that's another. So it's totally okay to to fail for you to set out to do one thing and it just to not work out because you'll learn from it, and that's that's really. That's a great part of that's a level up moment as a magic player and as a deck builder. Yeah, absolutely. And we're probably all flush with these type of stories. I've totally. mentioned Masaryk before. I am, again, always really drawn to Masaryk. But when I first started building a deck for that, I put it in cards with Persist because they you know, come back with negative one counters on them. And then Masaryk could put plus one counters on them. And those counters would annihilate each other. And then I'd be able to get more sacrifice stuff to power up the rest of my, oh, no, I just made an infinite combo deck. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> like, in the process of deck building, and as soon as I played it the very first game, I was like, oh, whoops, I've got a Woodfall Primus combo that immediately wins me the game. I didn't mean to do that. I just wanted to have fun sacrificing some stuff and getting some cool benefits out of it. And that was apparent from the very first time that I sat down with the deck. It immediately was doing something that was like, ah, not what I really intended to do. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we, we've probably got a bunch of stories from each of us uh, about decks that we wanted to try and the, the interactions were just not what we had originally anticipated. And there's some aspect that we hadn't taken into account. And that's very perfectly normal. Yeah, totally. And and sometimes it's not necessarily that you won't even know what's wrong. Sometimes you'll know exactly what's wrong, but you'll be either unable or you'll just be unwilling to fix it. So uh, one of the decks that I had, uh, I had an Amanatu deck. I went out and I thought we did a pre-con league last year, um, our play group did, and it was very, very fun, very enjoyable, loved it. You know, we got to slowly upgrade the decks. It was great. And, and I just the idea of blinking things with in esper colors was great yeah i get to use things like noxious gear hulk and luminate primordial and all of that kind of thing but the group that i played in hated playing against it it was really it was just, it was in this strange place where it was too powerful to be considered casual but it was far too casual to be considered competitive so there was like it was in this no man's pl- land where there was never really a good time for me to play it. It would just kind of I had Felidar Guardian and uh, Oath of Teferi and things like that, and I would just kind of accidentally like, oops, go infinite, you know, and it would just kind of create these really unfun experiences. Or you know, I would have people locked down, you know, with a Panharmonicon, you know, blinking and like I said, uh, illuminate Primordial over and over and just sword supply sharing everyone's creatures again and again and again and it was just this very very and it won super slowly and i knew how to fix it i could depower it and i could take out some cards that made it powerful and and would stop it from accidentally going infinite but that would mean cutting cards that i really really enjoyed or i could power it up like really really take it to that next level so it could be played in a more competitive experience but that would mean that i was having to cut cards uh, that I really, really loved too. Stuff, you know, for example, Twilight Prophet or, oh, there's a seven mana one that's like it does damage based on the top card of your library, the convert of mana cost. It's Baneful Omen. Baneful Omen. Yes, that card. I love that card. And I wouldn't be able to play that, you know, because that's not a competitive card. That's a terrible do nothing card, you know? And so things like that. And so I got stuck in this no man's land. But so instead of, of like doing one of those things that I absolutely did not want to do and was unable, unwilling to do. Um, and I didn't want to sink the money and trade equity into powering it up. I was like, well, I'm just going to take it apart because I will never, I'm just never getting to play it because there's never a good place for me to play it. 
I think it's also important while we're on the subject of the deck doesn't work out like you thought. I, I don't know, maybe this is an incendiary thing to say, but I think that this is also true of some of the pre-constructed decks that we get. I think that's important to know. These are mistakes that sometimes the designers also make. I'm thinking of the Aminatu deck. There was a very interesting, I say interesting, uh, morph and manifest sub-theme that was going on in the original Aminatu deck that I don't think was very strategically compelling in that actual deck. And if you look the way that the that Aminatu is being built now, there's almost never any type of morph and man manifest shenanigans going on with that deck anymore. It's just not as intriguing. Like, there are sometimes things that we get in the pre-constructed decks that are also not working out as necessarily powerfully as they could with the particular commander that they provided. So it's not just, you know, uh, I, I guess we're just trying to say, like, don't be too hard on yourself. If the deck that you built turns out not to work the way that you thought it would, sometimes that's true of pre-constructed decks, too. They're working in a different way than seems necessarily optimal, and it's probably not the kind of stuff that you're going to keep if you start upgrading the deck. And if you've built it, that doesn't mean if you've built a deck that doesn't turn out to work out the way that you want it to, that just means that it's one more step in you finding out how to experiment and tinker and become a better brewer. Totally. Yeah. D d defeat is not the, is not the like ending for a deck. You can either take it a different direction. You can keep working on it. Like there's, there's many different directions. You can take a quote unquote failed deck. Right, including maybe revisiting it again in a year. That's something that I do all the time. I keep on talking about Masaryk, but he keeps rearing his ugly head. He, It's a pet card of mine. Titania also. These are always commanders, and I'm just like, hmm, should I go back to those? And maybe every so often I'll actually try it out and see you know, whether my evaluation is the same, whether I've grown as a deck builder and I now have room in my arsenal for something like that, or if I was correct to have made that switch. It's always something that you can return back to. So those were some of the different things about you know why people might want to make the switch. But now let's talk a bit more pragmatically. What about how to make the switch? What are some tips that you have for actually, you know, moving one commander deck into another and transforming it? What are some ways that you found that make that process a bit more easy? I mean, one of the, I think one of the most difficult things with switching decks is it can be really expensive. It really, really can be. Because uh, you, there are cards that only fit in certain commander decks. And if you take part of deck, you're not. You're probably going to be doing something pretty different with it. Otherwise, you know, you know, why are you taking it apart? And so, uh, so one of the things that it, so it gets expensive. And so one of the ways, one of the most expensive things is, are lands. Lands just get pricey, and so it can be really tempting to kind of offload those. Uh, but a lot, what I try to do is I really try to save those lands, and I try to hold them back um, and only trade them if there's something I'm really, really wanting. And because there is a very, very strong likelihood that I'm going to want those lands in the future, whether, you know, if I've acquired shocks or fetches or anything like that, those are those are pricey, desirable things that people don't like getting rid of typically for a reason. And so I really try to hold on to my land base as much as possible. That's one of the biggest things that I do. Yeah, definitely saving those different staple type cards, cards yeah. that you're likely to play in the future, land bases in particular. Yes. Like those those are very, very important. Make sure that you're keeping track of those cards because they could belong in another deck that you currently have or they could belong in a deck that you will build in the future. Yep. Uh, here's a really big point for me. I will advocate endlessly, and I'm sure that if Dana was here, he would also have made this point probably 30 minutes ago, <laughs> that you should keep your deck lists online in case <laughs> you actually want to go back. Not every time that you make the switch 
switch from one commander to another, is that switch necessarily inherently successful? Sometimes you'll play the new deck and find out that that's the one that didn't work, and so you will revert back to the original thing. You want to make sure that you remember what that list is. So keep it online, play it on, on Architect or something like that, and actually that's a really important point too. Don't be afraid of proxying the deck or even just goldfishing it on a deck building website like Architect before you make the commitment and spend any money on the brand new cards or make trades for the brand new cards actually try it out in those different regards to proxy it if that's something that you're agreeable to and that your group is agreeable to like that's also very very important actually playing the deck is the only way that you're going to find out whether it jives with you and making sure that you have a deck list online for the old one is going to be the best way for you to backtrack in case you actually want to revert to the original and the new one is the one that didn't end up working out for sure that makes that makes complete sense and that's that it, t- it takes some legwork but it's definitely something that i have found to be worth it and it just it just kind of is a quick aside, I guess. This is, since it is pre-cons are getting ready to come out, um, one way to to save some money like this is so instead of necessarily just going out and buying that pre-con, maybe there are cards you really wanted, and maybe there are a bunch of cards you really wanted. So yeah, that makes sense to buy for. But so my brother, for example, he got the artifact deck last year because he wanted Brutaclad and he's going to build a Brutaclad deck. He went through the deck just the other day, and he had. None of the none like none of the cards were from the commander deck. I don't think outside of Brutacloud, he had mm-hmm. actual none, like maybe some basic lands, maybe like you know some of the some of the crappy you know like Shivan Reefs or something like that. But outside of that, he had Brutacloud, and everything else was entirely brand new, not from the not from the commander deck at all, like from from the actual pre constructed deck at all. And so yeah, Architect can be such a great way. So to to use to, to do that and so to make sure like oh hey guess what i only actually want two cars from that deck why am i spending 40 dollars on this deck that i'm using two cards <laughs> two cards from so it's fair it doesn't surprise me that that would actually happen to him though true yes yeah, true uh, it's true like oh god i hate that deck it's it's crazy it's the <laughs> it's the it's the sarah mclaughlin of decks okay so he, it, it is a <laughs> It is it is it is a combo deck, and it does nothing, and he sits there, and he just does nothing with it. And it's like you look at him, and he kind of like makes a sad face at you because like, oh, I only have like five lands and nothing else. And it's like you can hear from those like midnight commercials in the arms of the angel, and you're like, oh god, I can't, I can't, I can't put him out of his misery. I just, I, I really should just like step on his throat. And just knock him out of this game, but I can't do it. I'm gonna focus on everybody else. And then all of a sudden, he like rises from the grave like the freaking Undertaker and like pile drives the entire table, and you all die to a to a giant horde of bane of Balagads that he just made in a single turn. It's awful. Sorry, that's a little that, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but uh Sarah McLaughlin of Commander Decks, that is what Brutaclad is. That was surreal. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> I hope, that, Joey, right. Joey. I hope you never get upset at one of my random stories again because that it one sort was of up made there. sense. It sort of, made, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a thing. It was something, I guess. Well, I just find it. It's so funny that you have such like a, a heated dispassion for <laughs> your brother's deck because our very next point is the word is the concept of trading aggressively and so since you're in an aggressive mood do you want to talk about yes. this point you put in our show notes yes. about how to make deck transitions a little yeah. easier yes for exactly you get in there and you trade yeah so no you uh just trade aggressively so I, when i say trade aggressively i don't mean 
try to rip people off. I don't mean get in people's faces and yell at them or anything like that. I'm just meaning like be very intentional. And um, people the I know people kind of dog on trading anymore because it's hard hard to do and it's everybody has a smartphone and has prices and people are trying to get within, you know, you know, two cents of each other's trades and all of those sort of things. And some of the sometimes that is true. But typically if you are willing with most people, if you are willing to initiate the conversation, people are willing to trade. It's it's crazy. And you can get so many things and save so much money. But so you take apart a deck, you have a you know, hopefully a hundred cards that were good enough to be in a commander deck to begin with. And so it would make it would make sense, it would be logical that some of those cards are now you know, cards that other people would possibly be interested in. And so a way to save money and not take a bath financially every time that you want to switch decks is just to trade the cards from your old, the old leavings of your commander deck that you took apart and trade them into the pieces that you're actually wanting to acquire for your new deck. And just, it's, it's so, it's just such a cheaper way um, to upgrade existing decks. It just, yeah. Trading is great. I love, I love trading. It, it helps both parties out, hopefully, and it's it's good. And that's something that can also be negotiated within your own friend group as well. Sometimes playgroups are going to work really well if they're willing to help each other oh, out totally. with cards that you know each of them have that the other people might want to use for making a transition into a new deck. Yeah, generosity begets generosity. Like, it really does. And so if you have a playgroup that's been together for a while, maybe you guys are friends outside of Magic, um, that, that, that that's probably easier for you because like, oh yeah, we're friends outside of this game. So yeah, I have this Elspeth Sun's Champion. Like, yeah, it's kind of an expensive card, but you really want this card. This The deck that you're building really needs this card. I'm not necessarily going to like haggle with you and trade with you. It's like, here, I'm going to give you this card. Use the card. There will be a time in the future where I'll probably want a card from you and you'll be able to give it back. And with, with groups that aren't as close... Like, that can be a really hard, really kind of scary thing to do. Um, you know, it, it, it requires somebody willing to have a little bit of vulnerability and be willing to put themselves out there. And it might not work every time. There might be times that you get taken advantage of. Um, and that would be, that, 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 that would suck. Um, but you can figure that out really quick. And then, okay, that's just not going to work here. Because when the times that it does work out, it's, it's going to help help you build decks so much better because instead of just going from your pool of cards, you have three or four other people probably who you can kind of, you guys all kind of, you know, can help each other out and share cards, so to speak, I suppose. Um, And that just helps with the longevity of the group. I mean, really, like, one of the reasons people stop playing Magic is it gets too expensive. It's so hard to keep up. And you can't get the cool new cards that you want for because, you know, life comes up. And so if you're willing to be generous with your playgroup, like your playgroup's going to probably stay together longer and everybody's going to keep playing and can't really play magic without people to play with. So, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Those are some tips for like actually, you know, acquiring cards or things like that. But let's also shift now to talk about, you know, how to make the transition from one deck to another, not on the, you know, specifics of the different individual cards, but just on the over 
overarching theme of the deck, actually playing the deck, its strategy. And a really big point that I'd like to hammer home here is that changing to a new commander can radically change your strategy. So for example, when I switched from Titania to Omnath, I mean, I got a very, very different deck. Titania was careful and I had to time her just right to make a bunch of the elementals by sacrificing my lands. And then Omnath, by contrast, when I you know changed that mono green, de mono green deck into a green and red deck, Omnath makes free tokens, and he treats them like they're an expendable resource. In fact, he frequently wants to get rid of those tokens as much as possible to deal damage after he's done dealing damage with them in combat. He'll turn them into lightning bolts, and Titania was not that way at all. But what's fascinating is that the deck was almost exactly the same. A lot of the landfall cards basically maintained themselves, and as I moved over from Omnath to Gitrog, and then all of those turned into the Lord Windgrace, a lot of those cards have maintained. But every single one of those decks has been very, very different. Even though the 99 is basically almost exactly the same, the decks have become completely different simply because of the commander's interactions with those cards in the 99. Those cards can all be the same, but each of the commanders guides those cards into a very different strategic direction. And that is a very difficult lesson to actually uh, internalize. Don't let the way that your previous commander worked affect the way that you play your new commander. The number one card in your old deck might only be card number eight or 18 in your new deck. Moving to a new commander doesn't just open a new door, sometimes it also closes some other doors. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, and just keeping all those different, I, I know they're kind of minute points, but sometimes the, the smallest changes can make the biggest differences. Uh, I mean, obviously adding a big color or not a big color, but adding a color to a deck, that's going to drastically change it. But like you said, the timing between, uh, yes, their, their lands matters. Yes, one had a color difference, but the Omnath, you just want to get out as quick as possible and then just keep ramping. Titania, you want to accumulate resources, then play her at the right time and then just go ham. So it's, it is very interesting that you point out the, the timing and, and just navigating the win, all those tiny little details that I admittedly, like I, I take for granted. Um, I'm used to never casting my commander with my Edgar Markov deck, but but you know, Tasa Karlov on the other hand, when I'm playing her, it's let's get some resources out and let's time her just well, not as a last resource or just to let her non-existent eminence ability do so much. <laughs> um, but it's more, you know, get her on the ground when I need it, and then let that value happen real quick, just in case she does get removed. Yeah, and it, this is also, like, sometimes you'll make a switch within a commander because you're trying to shore up the weaknesses of the previous deck, right? So a complaint that I've seen from some folks when they're building Sahili the Gifted, the Is It Artifact Planeswalker commander, is that that deck is so good at, you know, using Sahili's abilities to power out artifacts very quickly that it runs out of cards in its hand very easily. So maybe that would prompt someone to move over to a Joyro Weatherlight Captain. Also, Is It Artifacts draws you cards for your artifacts. That might be something that you want to do to try and shore up the weakness of the other deck, but that single difference is going to change everything about the deck. Joyra is going to invite you to play lots of very tiny artifacts as opposed to Sahili, who's powering out very expensive artifacts on the cheap. That is a very big difference, and so shoring up just one weakness actually still does change the way that a lot of the deck is going to work, and sometimes the cards in the 99 are not going to translate very easily to that. So trying to make sure that you think of all of the different ramifications that happen as the result of a single commander's small change in abilities, they can actually make a very, very, very big difference. 
So what do you guys think of, about switching the 99 instead of the commander? We've talked a lot about switching decks in the context of, oh, I'm switching from one commander to another. But say, for example, you wanted to change your Kaikar Storm deck into a Kaikar Tokens deck, or you wanted to change from Atraxa Superfriends to Atraxa Infect. What are some tips that you might have for making switches within the 99 of the deck rather than within the command zone? I think the biggest thing there, for me at least, in my experience, is don't hold any sacred cows. If, if you know, to, to borrow that phrase, uh, when I was doing Moldroth and switching over to plus one, plus one counters, uh, I really wanted to keep her on final parting. That was a card that just, in the old build of Moldroth, it was find any two card combo and you win. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. But <laughs> granted, yeah, but, yeah. But, but with, you know, plus one, plus one counters, I don't have any infinite combos in that deck. It's very... Um, just get big and then go to town, really, it's it, it doesn't work so well. So, you know, searching up to permanence, yeah, sure, it's good, but it's not going to win me the game. Like, there aren't any... In that deck, there's probably not one, any one given card that's worth tuning up for on its own outside of maybe, like, Avengers Zendikar because, like I told you guys the story a few weeks ago, like, you could just win out of nowhere sometimes with it, which is great, but, like, there's not really anything worth tutoring up in that deck anymore. It's not super powered. There's no haymakers that are going to like be absolute like, oh my gosh, we can't let him cast this even. So I had to take out some some cards that you know I, I was really attached to, but just I had to put my emotion aside for a little bit and say like, is this really worth the spot or should I just continue with the theme? And so that's a, a good example that you know I, just, I had to learn, you know, as much as I like this card, does it belong in the deck anymore? And the answer was probably not. Yeah, what's that old phrase that they say for writers, murder your darlings? Yes. You know, there are things that you frequently like about, you know, the way that the old deck worked, but that might not jive as well in the new deck. And sometimes that's difficult to actually confront. But if you are switching strategies, it might be a sacrifice that you have to make for the new deck to flourish the way that you really want it to. I really like that. Uh, don't have any sacred cows is a, a very elegant way to put it, Matt. That's really fun. Did you uh, just so say I have... put something elegantly, Joey? Can you say that again, please? No. In fact, I'm going to ask Ken to remove that so you can't even get a sound bite of it. Uh, so then I've got one more question for you guys. Are there any decks upcoming that might cause one of us to make the switch? Is there any commander that you currently have that you maybe haven't been playing as much and that you might be switching from you know that deck to another? Is there anything new that you're thinking of building that might cause you to take apart another deck you already have? Yeah, I think the one thing for me, I have... I am at my deck limit. I have a self-imposed deck limit. And so I have 10 decks currently. Two of them I don't really ever play. One is a popper commander deck uh, built around Blaze Commando. And one is a zombie deck with Gisun Rolf that I basically only bring for like really low-powered situations or when I want to teach somebody commander. Uh, because it's just zombies are just really intuitive and it just make, they make sense to people. Uh, but so I have eight decks that I really, really play with all the time. And the one that I'm kind of thinking about switching out is my Mathis Curses deck. It's it's a really fun deck. I enjoy it. and uh, But it is... Not that it's not good. It is aggressive. I guess. <laughs> like, not that it's like, as in it wins fast or it's aggro, but it's I am choosing somebody to completely screw out of the entire game. 
Like it, it's yes, you are because we played a game in Kansas City, <laughs> and I took a picture I totally of you putting that. like eight curses <laughs> on me. You deserved it. You had it coming to you. So uh, that game was incredible. That was a really, really fun game. Gosh, that makes me kind of not want to take it apart now, um, <laughs> just for <the> memories. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so Greven, like I mentioned earlier, I think Greven's a really, really cool deck, and that would operate in some of the same kind of like sort of mean space that curses are but maybe not quite as mean um but i'm not entirely sure and that makes me think that i probably shouldn't pull the trigger just yet i, I kind of want to wait for a throne of Eldraine, honestly at this point like spoilers are in like three weeks which is crazy by the way uh and so i kind of want to wait because that that looks like a super cool set like camelot verse meets uh grim's fairy tales is sounds wonderful so i'm like there, there probably is going to be some really cool legends um, so I think I'm probably going to hold off on it and just wait to see if there's anything. Cause that, that's definitely the one on the chopping block. I think that's an important note to make. If there's an upcoming product, sometimes waiting until you see what else is coming out can be worthwhile to, you know, evaluate before you make a switch. Definitely make sure you're actually doing what you want to do and you're not going to change your mind in two weeks. Cause that gets expansive. Hey, nobody <laughs> yes, got money yes, for that. <laughs> I, I think for me, I've been fully convinced to move my mono black big man Adrana. I just wasn't as thrilled with her, but that new carrot guy looks really, really good. And I think that it's going to be, you know, definitely a lot of fun to move over one black deck to another. And I think an important lesson to take away from the show is that, you know, switching from one deck to another, it, it transcends color. It's not just a, a thing that like, oh, these decks are sort of similar and also in similar colors. That's not the only thing that can be important. Uh, but in this particular case, it does happen to be the case for me that I've got a new candidate for a mono black deck that I think will help it be a bit more distinct from some of the other stuff that my deck is already, my, my other deck lineup is already doing. Um, but yeah, I think that Kyrick sounds a little bit a little bit nasty. He seems he seems pretty fun for me. So that's probably the transition that I'll be making from uh, after the release of Commander Twenty Nineteen. Who's, who's Kirik? Matt, any transitions happening for you? I, who's Kirik? The Frexian mana mono oh, black guy. Karik. Gotcha. We don't pronounce it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you just have you just have to make a bird sound like most deaf. Or what? Who is that? Is it Cardi B? The skrrr? I don't know. I thought that was Migos. I don't know. It's Dude, a, a I don't rap know. group it's, that I probably don't listen to. Here's the thing. It's, it's high school. I just want it stated on the record that I tried to keep us talking about magic and failed. <laughs> Son of Yagma. My apologies. I, I, <laughs> God. You just have Spotify open the entire time you play the deck. So, Matt, are there any decks that you're considering transitioning from um, one to another? Not, <laughs> I, I love the agony in Joey's voice right now. Um... Uh, I, I don't really have any decks planned. Uh, so I have my my bag, and I'm, I'm at the, the point where Andrew is, where I have the amount of decks that fits in my bag, and I don't want to get a new bag more than anything. Um, <laughs> so that's currently holding me back. I am, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat where I only have a limited amount of time to play, so building a new deck and building a new deck, like that that takes a lot of time and attention from the other decks. And so I want to make sure that, you know, I'm I'm getting to play my Niv-Mizzet deck enough or my Tasa deck enough, or now that Moldroth has been transformed a little bit, like I want to make sure that I, I give all my decks time to breathe and, and have that lifespan. Um, it's not necessarily bad if I don't build the newest deck right now because I want to give my current decks that are still fairly new to me. I mean, Kaikar, gosh, I've played three games with Kaikar. So I, I, I want to enjoy the decks that I have because I, 
I mean, you you make fun of me, I know, but it's true. Like I've, <laughs> I've built more decks probably in the past year than I have in a while, and, and I've gotten to play a lot of games, but I also I feel like there are plenty more games to be played with those decks. So I nothing has jumped out at me like, oh my gosh, I have to build this. As much as I do like the new commanders, but but that doesn't mean they're bad. And I, I don't think they're great. That might be something that I, I keep you know in my back pocket. I have a list on Architect ready to go whenever I get bored with any given deck. So that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm I'm always brewing. I'm trying to find you know is there something I might enjoy more, but I'm not actively right now the second trying to find something else. Well, and that's also, you just made the transition from Muldrotha combo to Muldrotha plus one counters, and then also you changed from Shuyu into Kaikar. So this mm-hmm. is actually something you did pretty recently, yes. and that's probably why you aren't going to be looking to do it in the future. You just did a big transition, and that's a lot of work. That's one of the things that's definitely a takeaway from this episode. Making a transition is a pretty big commitment from one commander to another or from one strategy to another. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of thought, but also, I like what you said there about how it takes you playing it to really get the right feel for it. The only thing that's going to tell you whether or not you enjoy the deck is you actually getting the chance to play it. Yep, it's true. And and I am enjoying the games as they are right now, so I'm going to continue enjoying games. Sounds awesome. All right, before we wrap up the show, gents, we're going to move on to our classic closing segment, Challenge the Stats. There are a lot of statistics here on EDH Rec, but we don't always think that they're exactly right. There are plenty of cards that are not seeing as much love as they deserve and plenty of cards that are seeing more love than they deserve. So, Andrew, do you mind starting us off with your challenge of the stats this week? I can definitely do that. So, my challenge of stats is a two-drop enchantment in black. And I'm actually specifically looking at the Ur-Dragon deck, but not. But it should be played in other decks as well. Uh, I'm looking at Heartless Summoning. Heartless Summoning, um, mm-hmm. specifically in the Ur-Dragon deck, is absolutely crazy town it basically turns into you playing all of your gigantic dragons making making them cost three less because the ur dragon by itself already just makes everything cost one less and then heartless summoning uh decreases the cost by two i should just read it i'm sorry so creature spells you cast cost two less to cast and then creatures you control get minus one minus one and the thing is do you know what you don't care about with your gigantic flying dragons, them having minus one, minus one. They're going to be bigger than basically everything else already. What I do care about is being able to cast Dragonlord Ojitai for a single white and a single blue, or uh, Dromoka the Internal for a single white and a single green, or you know any of the three-color dragons for just the three colors. It's an at, like the... My win percentage when I get that card out in that deck, particularly early, is it, it's it's just such a it's the most powerful card in that deck. It really, really. Is. I will vouch. I will directly vouch against this card because it has led to me losing more games than I care to count. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it is, and it's not, and it's not going to show up anywhere on the Ur Dragon's page, and Ur Dragon doesn't even show up on Heartless Summoning's page. So. I, I think there would be a concern just for me looking at a card like that. Like it reduces the colorless cost of all of my my uh, my dragons, but I would be concerned were I playing that deck that I need to make sure that my mana sources are providing me mana for 
first of all, all of the cards that I play, including like my my spells, which Heartless Summoning doesn't, sure. but also that it provides me with the mana fixing that I need. And that's something that would sometimes stress me out. But you're saying that it's good enough just reducing the colorless cost on just that one particular tribe? Yeah, type? it really, I mean, it really is. And it doesn't just do, I mean, it just, it doesn't on any creature, but obviously Ur Dragon, you're probably only playing dragons. I mean, because it's basically a free soul ring for every single dragon you're, cost, you're casting. You know? I, I mean, I do like me the words free soul ring. And it's, like, it's essentially, <laughs> essentially really what it is. And so... Yeah, I, just, I think it's the it's it's just very powerful. It turn it makes it where all you need is colored mana, and you could even have something like Morph on the Boundless or whatever out. I actually am looking to acquire one of those because I want to try it in the Dragon deck. I have a legendary <laughs> legendary Dragon Tribal deck, and it's legendary and it's sort of a dragon, and it would with Heartless Summoning and Morph on out at the same time, all my dragons would essentially be free, and that sounds like fun. So that does sound like fun. <laughs> I like free creatures. I think another interesting uh, place for this enchantment would also be in a demon tribal oh, totally. deck with Rakdos the Showstopper at the helm because demons tend to be very, very expensive. Yeah. And that's also a deck where you probably don't care that the demons get minus one. But additionally, it's a deck where you're not as worried about the color fixing because you're just in two colors. Totally. I, 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 and I could see definitely. If, and so if you have a, if your land base isn't, uh, you, you definitely want a decent land base if you're going to be running five colors anyways. But with, with using something like Carlos Summoning, yeah, there there can be some concern about getting screwed on color, but it happens way less often than you think. Um, one of the things I think with Heartless Summoning, actually, uh, I think that the art on it actually makes me think that, like, I don't know why, but it look it's just zombies. So all I think immediately is like, oh, this would go into like some little like zombie deck, and it's not very good in zombies actually. So it's just kind of interesting. The art like doesn't line up with where where, where the cards actually good. I don't know. That's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Don't be distracted by the art. I think that's important. <laughs> All right, so that's an interesting one there. I do have a friend who has an Ur Dragon deck. I might float that idea by him, and if it ends up wrecking my day, I will definitely. Oh uh, yes, you. please do. <laughs> Let's move on from that challenge about a card in a five color deck. I'm actually going to be looking at cards for single color decks. I'm looking at the card Cold Steel Heart. People probably already know what Cold Steel Heart is. It's a very very efficient mana rock, two mana snow artifact that enters the battlefield tapped, and as it enters the battlefield, you choose a color. Then it can tap to add one mana of the chosen color to your mana pool. This is really popular in, you know, two color decks, but it's less popular in single color decks, which I find curious because it's basically a second version of, for those monocolor decks, it's a second version of the diamond cycle. For example, marble diamond or sky diamond or charcoal diamond or fire diamond, that kind of thing. There are also two mana artifacts that enter tapped and then tap for whatever corresponding color in each of those different colors. So marble diamond taps for white, enters tapped. It would be effectively a second copy of that. The diamonds show up way more than Cold Steel Heart does in monocolor decks, and I think since they're effectively the same, you probably will be wanting both. So just as an example, Tauren Sky Summoner has Sky Diamond in like 35% of decks, but Cold Steel Heart doesn't appear on the page at all. Fire Diamond shows up in 47% of Doretti Scrap Savant decks. Cold Steel Heart also doesn't show up on the page at all. I, I even looked a little bit deeper using advanced filters, and it's only in 10%. Cold Steel Heart is in 10% of Doretti decks, while Fire Diamond is in 47% of decks. If you want one, you probably want the other. Or here's a really good one. How about Gaunti, Lord of Luxury? Charcoal Diamond 
38% of Gaunty decks. Cold Steelheart, nowhere on the page. I dug further using advanced filters on that one too. It's only in 6% of Gaunty decks. But Gaunty, they can pay any type of mana for the cards they steal, sure, but what if the card you steal has an off-color activated ability? Cold Steelheart actually has dual use there because you can choose a different color that would allow you to activate that off-color ability. There's actually like very practical use there. So I think if you have the diamonds in your deck, also give a consideration to Cold Steel Heart in that monocolor deck as well. It's not just a mana rock to be taken advantage of in two-color decks. Mono deck, monocolor decks can use it too. I always forget this card exists. It's it's a real... That's probably one of the biggest knocks against yeah. it. That's probably why it doesn't see as much yeah. play, is that it's easy to forget, it's not as accessible, but it's basically a second copy of things that these decks true. clearly already want, so you might as well get yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. It, yeah, it was in Cold Snap or something, and then like that one commander deck, the Boros one, I think. And it's four bucks, so <laughs> right. yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and again, you're Mr. Budget. If four bucks is too much for a mana rock, then yeah, that is an absolutely good excuse not to have that mana rock. But if you do have one and have the ability to get that particular card, I think it belongs in monocolor decks just as much, if not more, than some of the diamonds that we constantly see. If one of them is going to be popular, it just makes sense that oh, the other totally. one should be as popular it's too. Perfect All right, Matt, what's your challenge? So my challenge is, based off a story, so the last time that I went to the shop, uh, played some games I played against a Hydra Tribal deck, and I just happened to be playing my Moldroth Counters deck. And it was funny, so I, I had out my card that I'm going to challenge that I think is being underplayed in Hydra Tribal decks. It is Pure Imaginative Rascal. Uh, so Pure, pretty cheap card, so he is a two and a green for a 1-1 one, one human creature, partners with Toothy, which is irrelevant in a lot of Hydra decks, but... He does say, whenever one or more counters would be put on a permanent your team controls, put that many plus one of those types of counters instead. So, one thing you might you all might know about Hydra decks is they do a lot of X spells, a lot of plus one, plus one counters for X. So, it's nice because Pier does turn into kind of a mana ramp in a way. Uh, you can cast that X for one less, or you can cast it for as many X as you want, and you're going to get one extra counter on there, so it's like he's mana ramping you a little bit. But then on a lot of cards like Colonian Hydra, where you are getting counters after it's in play, uh, Mana Gorger Hydra is nuts with Peer, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of people. I do know. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can be putting counters on all these creatures, like Hydra Omnivore or whatever there is. Forgotten uh, Forgotten, <laughs> Forgotten Ancient, Orin Reef Hydra. There's a bunch of Hydras that deal with counters, whereas, you know, you turn into some, you know, the, the, the overarching theme, if you look at the EHREX page, for Hydra Tribal is counters. There are some outliers, Uvenwald Hydra, stuff like that. But for the most part, there's a lot of counters. So if you, and this player specifically, nothing against him, he might have just drawn really, really poorly, but he basically did nothing outside of maybe a ramp spell or two on turns three and four. So what that deck often wants to do is cast X for as many as possible. So those early turns, you have these big spells that aren't going to do a lot early in the game. So keeping your curve lower, maybe don't keep it too low, but having some early game drops to play out early, like Pier, Imagine a Rascal, along with your ramp, maybe you're playing land or elves or whatever. I think that is something that will go miles as kind of one of those good support cards helps all of your creatures. Uh, this player was blown away when I, sh when I put this out, when I put peer on the battlefield, he said, huh, that probably be pretty good in my deck too. Wouldn't you think it's like probably, probably, bud. but there's, there's lots of, of hydras out there that don't deal with 
plus one, plus one counters at all, uh, Honored Hydra might be a good swap because you're going to get a lot of benefit from Pure Imaginative Rascal compared to that Hydra that doesn't do anything with counters, whereas the rest of the deck does. So what you're saying is that a creature version of Hardened Scales is good even when it doesn't come with an imaginary friend? Even when it doesn't come with an imaginary friend. Currently, if you look at Hydra Tribal deck, Pier is not on the page at all. You cannot find him. He, he shows up in less than 9% of decks. I think that number should be significantly higher. Just to make sure I'm making it clear, I think Pier is underplayed in Hydra Tribal decks. <laughs> I have a question for you as long as you're on the Hydra Tribal page. Does Hardened Scales show up on that page? Hardened Scales does indeed. Let me pull that up for you. So Hardened Scales shows up in, would you like to take a guess, Joey? Uh, 68% of that. 68, Andrew, any guesses? Uh, 57. Well, 41, you guys overshot the runway. You're uh. really bad at this, aren't you? <laughs> but <laughs> Clearly. Just don't go on prices right, guys. But yeah, 41% of Hydra, of Hydra tribal decks are playing hardened scales. Uh, I think you could half that, 21%, 20%, whatever, and play pure imaginative rascal. You're going to get the same effect. It's going to be on a stick. You're going to get it multiple times. So, I mean, if you're playing mana dorks, you may as well swap one out for something like this. Yeah, I think that that's fair. If hardened scales, that's why I wanted to ask. If hardened scales is showing up at a popular clip, then Pierre, who has a pretty darn similar effect and also has a body with which you can use to block, I think that that's a very compelling reason to uh, to you know add him into because he's doing something that the deck also clearly is announcing that it wants to do. All right, guys, any other things that we want to touch on about making the switch before we finally wrap up our show? Okay, so yeah, I think the one thing would be to not be afraid to make the switch. Uh, don't be afraid of commitments. Um, it's a, I think it, it can be a, it can be a very fun thing. It can be a little scary at first and uh, it can be hard to get rid of something that you've really enjoyed, but it can end up being a, a very, even more enjoyable. And but yeah, don't be, don't be scared to, to take apart a deck and make something new and try, try something new because if anything, you can always go back. It's not, it doesn't have to be a permanent thing necessarily. Yeah. Plus, if you do decide to kill one of your previous decks to make a new one, that gives more fodder for me to then reanimate the deck that you killed. That sounds like Stop. a lot of fun for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of your listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Andrew, thanks so much for coming onto the show again. Where can people find you? Yeah, um, you can probably find me here the next time Dana decides to go to GP Vegas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at... Last time I didn't have a Twitter. This time I have a Twitter. So it's at BruiseMTG. Uh, Alrighty. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow Ediatrek and the cast on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can contact us at ediatrekcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. Reminder again, thanks so much to everyone for helping us hit 2,000 followers on Twitter. We are doing that giveaway for one of each of the decks from Commander 2019. So at Nerdy Drummer, at the Chip Carry, at M Dave Sees, and at Softest Weapon. 
please get in touch with us. We'll try to get in touch with you as well so that we can get you guys those awesome giveaways. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREX Community Content Spotlight section where we feature as many other content creators as we can from Command Zone to Commander Screw to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. Finally, this upcoming weekend is Magic Fest Vegas. Dana and I will be there at the Command Zone party, so come find us and play some games. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. I would like to submit the motion that we don't record at all, and that instead, we just go lie down and <laughs> contemplate our own existence. <laughs> sort of where I'm at. Existential, existentialism on a Monday. Contemplate, contemplate the void. And the ley lines. I, I've been through the five stages of grief, but I've never been through the five stages of that. <laughs> and here's the sad thing. We're casting our pearls before swine here, because none of this can be used. None of it can be used. And it's no. so sad, because it would be funny. It's funny. You need an after hours. That's what you need.